I'll be talking to my studio guest, Harry Turner. He's written many books, a local author, and the one we'll be uh, discussing in intimate detail tonight is Growing Up in Fulham. Good evening, Harry. Good evening. You've written a number of books. You obviously live in quite live quite locally, within walking distance, possibly of here. Three minutes away. Three. That's good, isn't it? Really. So, did you drive up here tonight? I walked you, over the bridge. Gosh, <laughs> you beat me. I live up the other end of the uh, of the town here, and well, I drive down here because I've got a box full of things I have to bring with me. That's beside the point. So, anyway, uh, my guest tonight, as I say, is local author that has written very uh, respectable number of books. The one we're paying attention to right now is called Growing Up in Fulham. It's a nitty-gritty story with no holds barred. I can certainly identify that with myself, and I'm convinced that a large number of our listeners will do as well. So welcome, Harry. Uh, Before we go into any detail about your writing abilities, can I ask what you did for a living before your retirement? I worked in commercial television, ITV. I was the managing director of one of the ITV regional companies, Westwood Television. Oh, gosh. And I worked 30 years in ITV, and I was also a director of ITN News. Really? So you, there's not years. much you don't know about this side of it, then? Well, this is, this is uh, sound broadcasting. I was in, in, in television. Yeah. So 30, 30 years, you say? 30 years. Gosh, it's a long time. And did you enjoy what you did in those days? It was better than work. It was a lot of fun. That's a very subtle way of putting it. It was a lot of fun, worked with a lot of talented people, and I had a most enjoyable career. So here we have a man that worked within a profession that possessed much technical know-how and gear, yet you yourself don't own either a computer or a mobile phone. Absolutely right. I'm technically the world's most incompetent man. <laughs> I thought you would adopted to go down that route out of choice because I know lots of people who do that and I admire them for it because not everybody wants to sort of get involved with computers and mobile phones and uh, I like modern technology but I think sometimes it goes a little bit over the top, don't you? Absolutely, yes. Now quite obviously your growing up years had a massive impact on your life and continues to do so uh, otherwise uh, you would not have made the decision to write a book all about it. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. Well, I left school quite young. I was 16 when I left school. I, I went to a local grammar school. Actually, it was in Chelsea, just over the bridge from Fulham. Um, but my childhood years, before I did my national service, were, were the formative years. They were terribly important to me, playing in the streets of London and uh, playing in Bishop's Park by the River Thames. Uh, I picked up a lot of what I call street cred from that experience in those early days. And uh, having read the book, my first thoughts are that you managed to recall so much intricate detail from many years back. Well, I did keep a diary, you see, uh, a rather badly written diary in longhand, and uh, I just made brief notes, and there were just trigger points in each day, which enabled me to, as it were, um, ransack my memory when I wrote the book. So I had all the sort of uh, points to go from. Uh, and it, it, it flowed. It flowed quite quite quickly. Now, uh, obviously, you will agree with me on this. I know you will, because, I mean, it, it, when, when you're much older, you go back and visit places you knew as a child. They appear so much smaller than they were when you remember them for real. Absolutely. Oh, indeed, yes. Bishop's Park, where I used to play, seemed enormous. It seemed bigger than Hyde Park when I was 11 and 12. I went back, and it's really rather... It's a very pretty park, but it's really quite tiny. (laughs) 
Now, uh, much of the story centres around Hestercombe Avenue, Fulham. Uh, does that road still exist today, Harry? Oh, indeed it does, yes. It's a, it's a long road of uh, Edwardian three-storey houses with little gardens at the back. Uh, and when I was a lad, they were all rented in flats, but they were originally built in the sort of 1890s for quite wealthy middle-class families. And then for the middle years, up until the sort of to the late 60s, they were still in flats. And then when the affluence came in the 60s and 70s, most of them now are lived in by uh, by single families. Yeah, uh, number four, wasn't it? You lived. I was number four. Yes, indeed. Uh, and does that same house still stand today? Oh, indeed, it does. And, and is it easily recognisable? Instantly recognisable. Yes, it is. And you, you must have very fond memories of the area. Oh, I love it. Well, all those houses, not only were they three stories, they had cellars and gardens. Can you believe it? A cellar and and a garden in in central London. Absolutely fantastic. Diana Dawes lost her drawers in the British home stores. <laughs> Very rude, I'm sorry, for Brooklyn Radio. Don't, 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 we can transmitting al- filth we, like this. No, don't, we, we can allow her. <laughs> well, uh, I, I tell you what, I mean, I, I'm going to go on to say something about this because um, uh, living in Fuller, you must have known every single tradesperson by sight and by name. Oh, we did, yeah. We knew them all, yeah. Greengrocers, uh, 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 grocers, tobacconists. Them all, and yeah. I guess it was the same for the local residents. I mean, some obviously stood out more than others, not always for the right reasons. Well, indeed. Now, what about Sher- Sherbrooke Primary School? You obviously have fond memories of that establishment, Harry. Oh, indeed, yes. That was in the Sherbrooke Road. Uh, it was a typical primary school way back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, it's been razed to the ground and is now a block of rather expensive apartments. They've still got the old Sherbrooke Road School sign still up outside oh that's something isn't it yes but it was pretty rough in those days it was a you know pretty rough school but there i went and i i did i stayed there till i was 11 and then i passed my 11 plus and went to across the bridge to chelsea to the sloan grammar school now of course in those days one took the 11 plus Uh, at the time this was quite an was it an ordeal for you i don't remember much about it but i scraped through I think I had the gift of the gab even then, you know, I could write and I could talk and that's about all. I was no good at sums or anything technical, but I, uh, I was in amateur drama at school as a young age and so uh, what I've done for the rest of my life is talk and write, that's all I can do. Now, throughout the book, there are numerous references to various people and events, some of which leave nothing whatsoever to the imagination, as you proved a few moments ago. And, and as much as I'd like for us to tell our listeners just what they are, for everyone's sake, then the word edit comes into play. But one thing we can just about get away with uh, is your description of well-built females. You go on to say, and I quote, sheer trouser-splitting eroticism. Now, that did make me smile. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember to whom I was referring, but it was obviously some some blonde, uh, uh, beautiful lady uh, in Bishop's Park. Every Saturday in Bishop's Park, there would be a, there would be a little uh, little orchestra or a little band playing in the bandstand, and uh, you were invited to dance around on the tarmac. And I used to go there uh, at the age of twelve and thirteen, even, and and I used to gaze in wonder at these extraordinarily. Uh, unobtainable beauties <laughs> drifting around in their lipstick and their and their and they didn't make mini skirts they wore they wore long pencil skirts and they they all wore stockings which had patterns on on the back 
it was all very erotic for a boy <laughs> of 13 and 14. Now, of course, your dad was a policeman, and I have to ask you this, Harry, because he was working for the police force at around the same time that John Reginald Christie was arrested by the river in Putney. Did he have any recollections of that incident, or do you recall anything about it yourself? Oh, I remember it vividly, because Putney, I mean, he, uh, Christie was arrested just over the bridge on the other, on the embankment, the other side of uh, Fulham, on the Putney side. Um, yes, we we read about it in the Evening Standard and the Evening News that very day. They they got photographs of the arrest. My father used to cycle to the police station where he was a, a station sergeant in Victoria, but uh, he had some amazing tales of policing in London in the 20s, 30s and 40s, and they'd make your hair stand in, and I can assure you. And, of course, we can. how could we not sort of mention the man from the Prue, uh, who oh my a well-known God. character? What about your memories of him, Harry? Well, they're extraordinary. The man from the Prue would cycle round along Hesterquare. He'd park his bike outside our house, rap on the door. My mother would come to the door, and I'd be standing by her, and he'd produce a little book with her name in, and she'd give him a shilling, and he'd make, put a tick next to her name in the in the book, which was her paying her premium, and then he'd get on his bike and cycle off to the next house. <laughs> and another individual of note would have been the local park keeper. Now, in your area, this was a certain Jack Bailey, who was married to, and I quote, Mad Kate. <laughs> well, Jack Bailey was the park keeper, and he lived upstairs in the same house as my parents had. We had the ground floor flat, and he had the upstairs flat. When I say his wife, Mad Kate, she was a harmless, but she was wildly eccentric. She, she actually believed she was a relative of Queen Victoria, and she would sing God Save the Queen out on the balcony, you know, to anybody who was prepared to listen. But they were great characters, and he used to walk to the park in his park uh, keeper's uniform carrying a pointed stick, and I always say, what's he got a pointed <laughs> stick for? And he said, it's to pick up the leaves, <laughs> prod the leaves and pick them. I thought this was quite extraordinary. It was like a, like a lethal weapon, but it was just to pick I up mean, leaves. I mean, the park keeper was quite a character in those. Oh, yeah, it was an authority figure, like a policeman. I, mean, I, I can remember our park, seeing our park keeper throwing buckets of cold water over dogs that became a little bit too amorous. Oh, indeed, yes, <laughs> I remember all that too. You go on to talk about um, uh, film stars and singers of the day, and you mentioned Betty Grable and also Errol Flynn. Oh, indeed. Well, Betty Grable was the, was the blonde bombshell of the, of the time, and she was in a number of uh, American musicals. But Errol Flynn was my kind of hero. Uh, I remember seeing him in the very first Technicolor movie to come out of Hollywood, which was The Adventures of Robin Hood. And he played Robin Hood, of course. And I thought that was just incredible, dashing around with a sword and, and falling into the arms of the beautiful maid Marion. Um, yes, Flynn was very much my hero, but he was not an American. He was uh, he was Australian, actually, born in or Tasmanian, and he became one of my heroes. And years later, he wrote a wonderful book about his his life. It was called My Wicked, Wicked Ways, and he was a bit of a naughty boy in those days. Let me just read this out before I forget to do it, because this comes from Phil over there in Sunbury, and he says, enjoyed Harry Re Harry's reminiscence of growing up in film, especially the poem about Dinah Dawes. I had a bit of a crush on her myself, and that's from Philip over in Sunbury. Uh, now, I, uh, I think our listeners, uh, not only just me, will have uh, very quickly worked out that you, uh, that you had an eye for a good female form from birth. 
Indeed, you go on to describe your dance teacher, Miss Holland, as being the complete personification of absolute perfection. And you were only 11 at the time. I know, but that was that, was, that phrase, I'm afraid, I stole from one of, one of Oscar Wilde's plays, actually. But uh, she was an extraordinary. I mean, I thought she was absolutely stunning. You know, she wore lipstick and stockings and had a fur coat, all those extraordinary things which seemed beyond my reach. Now, I simply love your summing up of those precious years spent in Fulham where you say yourself to have drawn first prize in the lottery of life. I think that's a brilliant idea, really. Well, I did. I mean, being born in London anyway, the greatest city on the planet, uh, and in Fulham, which was literally a 14 bus ride to Piccadilly in 20 minutes. I mean, what what could be better? Yeah. It was just fantastic. Time has beat us, Harry, unfortunately. We ended up crashing the news. But it's been a pleasure to talk to you tonight. And I think uh, we'd like, like to have you come back again at some later stage to talk about one of your other books, if you'd like to. It's been a pleasure, Ray. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, 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 it's been my pleasure as well. I know everybody else out there from the emails who got in tonight has uh, spoken for itself. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not keep up to date with the sound of Surrey by listening live at brooklandsradio.co.uk or through our free mobile app.